You know, we're in our, uh, the last part of our series on power, and it just so worked out when I was looking at how this is going to line up that the R was for resurrection. That's the last letter in power. And there is a, a, something called resurrection power. It's, it's in the Word of God. And so many Christians, they, they, just, they, don't, they, fall, they, they just stop short of getting into that place, that, that part of God that He really wants to move and flow in you and through you. And it's called a resurrection power. And the thing about it is, I, I like to make it where you can understand it and it's practical and you can apply it to your life. I mean, it just sounds good. I've got resurrection power, but, you know, if it's not applied, if it's not working in you and through you as you leave this place, if it's just a Sunday morning resurrection power thing and you raised your hands and you shouted and all that, I mean, that's cool. That's awesome. But it's better when you're walking out and doing it in the community and in your churches, I mean, in your schools and in your workplaces, uh, your cities, your communities. It's better when it's lived out there instead of just lived in here. Because we can always put on a face for about an hour or two. Most everybody can... Get by for an hour or two with the hallelujah, God bless you, brother. <laughs> right? But it's, it's when you get out of here that it's going to make the difference. Now, this is uh, next week. I'm, I'm very excited about next week, uh, the 20th anniversary. But as I was talking to Mark and Kristen, this actually is the 20th anniversary in the sense of we began on Resurrection Day in 2001 in the city auditorium. So resurre- this is our 20th celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and people go, why do you call it that? But we don't call it Easter, and I'm not going to go into all that. We just we would re- prefer to, to label it like the Bible labels, labels it instead of what the world has labeled it. And uh, so there's a lot, lot to that. But we, we, don't, we don't celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrected Christ. So I hope you understand that. We're not trying to uh, make you feel bad or anything. Uh, we, don't, we don't celebrate a lot of things that the world celebrates. And like last week, I said we're not even supposed to be in friends with the world, right? Uh, as the body of Christ. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about resurrection power. You know, today, it's, this day is celebrated all over the world. Y'all understand that? I mean, churches are packed out. Uh, they've got, like us, we moved our cross outside. We got it draped with the purple. We got a little place for you to get your pictures taken out there. Thanks to Kim and, and Kylan. Isn't that cool? Uh, if you haven't had your picture taken in front of that sign, I, I would encourage you to take it, but not just take it for yourself. Post it on Facebook so people can know, hey, what, what are they, what's that risen mean? <laughs> well, it means Christ is risen from the grave. And so uh, and we just had so many people, I, I couldn't even name them all, that helped us get ready for today for the extra uh, help in the parking situation and decorations and all that. But we're celebrating, we're celebrating the resurrected Christ today, and all over the world they're doing that. But here's the thing. It's become, over the last, probably the last several decades, it's become more of a worldly celebration than a Christian celebration. You know, kids are more interesting in fi- interested in finding eggs than they are in finding Jesus. That's our culture. Uh, people are more interested in what they're wearing than who they're wearing. Right? I mean, we're, we're to be clothed in Christ. And it's okay to dress up. I mean, uh, y'all know I like shirts. <laughs> y'all see a different shirt almost every Sunday, right? I, I, but if we're not clothed in Christ, I don't care how fancy you dressed up. If you're not clothed in Christ, you're lost. And so today, I mean, I'm just going to speak like I would any other Sunday. I'm not going to... 
There's no watered-down, nice, Christianese Easter message for anybody, okay? Y'all didn't expect that anyway, right? Okay. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. That's not going to be our focus passage, but I want to set the stage for this message this morning. Because if, if I were to ask you, what is the resurrection celebration all about? Most, most everybody in here would understand that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He came to this earth as a baby. And, and all the songs that we've sung this morning have told the history of, of Christ, pretty much. That He lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. For three and a half years, he, he did the ministry that God had called him to. But then he went to the cross. He was crucified by the people that he came to save. He was crucified. And God said, I require a perfect sacrifice for anybody to enter into heaven. And he said, there's no perfect sacrifice except my son. So he gave his son up to die on the cross for you and for me. This was over 2,000 years ago. And because we look to the cross and believe in the, in the death and the, the, the burial of Christ that to save us is from our sins, but we have to go beyond that. We have to go to the resurrection. Or listen, that if we, we would be, like Paul said, we'd be the, um, the most of all to be pitied if we didn't believe in the resurrection and know the resurrection. Because that is our life beyond the grave. Amen? That's our life beyond the grave. So I want to give you this mental picture. Here we have Jesus crucified. The disciples that had been following him all these three years don't know exactly why and how it's happened, but their, their, their leader has been killed on a cross. And now they're, they're feeling that we're the next. They're going to come after us next. See, they didn't understand yet, even though Jesus had told them many times over that he was going to come back to life. They did not ever grasp that. And, and God had a reason for that. And so here they are. You know how they celebrated the resurrection? They went in a room and locked the doors and hid. They did. They went in the, because they were afraid they were, that the, the Pharisees the, all the, or the Romans, that they were going to come after them, arrest them, and they would be the next ones on the cross. Now, this is where I want you to understand, before Christ, that's where most of us were, hiding out. We didn't know what to do. Our life was a mess. Okay? So let's look at verse, chapter 20, verse 19. This is from the Passion. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors. But Jesus suddenly appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Now, I don't know what you would have done. I would have probably been running into the wall myself to get out of there. <laughs> Didn't you lock the door? Yeah, I locked the door. The window's shut. Yeah, the windows are shut. How did he get in here? And who is that guy? <laughs> and, he said, and, and I like it. It's always the way the angels are. The angels show up, scares the, you know, whoo, out of these people. And they always say, don't be afraid. <laughs> and Jesus says, peace be to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, peace, right, okay. And he said that, peace to you. Then, then he showed them the wounds of his hands. Oh, did you, don't you know that? How to just get them. He showed them wounds in his hands and his side. And they were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Man, that moment from fear, shock, and awe to awe. Wow, it really is him. It really is him. And Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. This is a word for you and me. And then, taking a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Now blow it out. He blew on them, and he said, Receive 
the Holy Spirit. Wow. And he says, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. In other words, guys, some people have a problem. They don't understand that scripture. Listen, your neighbor, you might be the only Bible they ever read. You may be that one person that's going to have an opportunity before they die. You're going to be that one person that's going to be able to share the gospel with them. Because if you don't, guess what? They may go to a devil's hell because you are not willing to share your testimony or to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news. Why wouldn't you want to tell them? And he says, now you've gone from being afraid, locked up in your room, and now he says, I want to breathe the Holy Spirit upon you, and they were endured the Holy Spirit indwell them at that moment. I believe, personally, that was their salvation moment. That was not their baptism in the Holy Spirit. That was their salvation moment. When you receive Christ, He breathes the Holy Spirit into your life, and He gives you new life. But there's another point where you travel further in your Christian life, and He says, now, are you ready for the next level? Are you ready for the next one? And he says, I want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when it comes upon you, we'll see that in Scripture. <laughs> the disciples went from being petrified to being sanctified in one moment. They went from being confused to being infused with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said this. He said, now listen, this is not all. He said, I want you to go and wait for, for the for the." promise he called it the promise i want you to go not many days from now i want you to go and wait for the promise now he walked on the earth for 40 days after this and you know what he preached the kingdom that's all it says the bible says he preached the kingdom and he said now after these 40 days he ascended to heaven but he said now go and wait go and wait acts 1 8 look at it i promise you this the holy spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power dunamis dynamite (laughs) You will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on the earth. When God gets a hold of you guys, you really shouldn't be able to be shut up. You really shouldn't be able to say, well, no, I don't really know much about it. I don't think I want to share that. I don't want to talk about Jesus. You need to be like the, uh, Peter and John said, we can't help but speak to the wonderful things we've seen God do. We can't help. You can't stop us. You can put us in prison. You can do whatever you want to do, but you can't stop us. Because they were seized with power. Seized and gripped with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at what Paul says in Romans 8.11. This is going to be a shocker to some of you. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. Y'all believe that? And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. The same spirit, the spirit of resurrection, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, from being dead to alive, resides in me. me. Us. That same spirit resides in us. Do we have a grasp of that yet? Probably not. Do we understand that fully? Probably not. But are we supposed to believe it by faith and act upon it? Yes, yes, yes. So, how are we going to do this? 
How are we going to really make this practical in, in our lives? See, a lot of us, because I've, I've preached a lot of funerals already this year. And they were all believers. And you know what I, I talk about? Man, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ because he was raised. They've been raised. Last breath here, next breath there. Right? And we talk about the resurrected spirit in, in, in the sense of, oh, it's, I'm so glad that we don't have to spend eternity in hell or, or wandering, know, knowing not where we're supposed to be or just dying and being, becoming like wormwood, you know. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad that I have a life beyond the grave because Jesus was raised from the dead. But see, he's talking about he raised you from the dead the moment he came into your life and saved you from your sins. See, when we talk about miracles, that greatest miracle of all is salvation. We talk about, oh, I want to see the dead raised. Well, did you get saved? Then you were dead and you got raised. The Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. We're dead in the water. And when he came and he saved us, he resurrected us. But he didn't resurrect us and he didn't come into the, the disciples' room and say, Oh, I'm so glad here I am. Now y'all just go live the rest of your life. Go back fishing. Do whatever you want to do. You guys have been with me and y'all been really good. But y'all just go back to your lives. Everything's going to be good. No, he said, You go and you tell the world what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You go tell the world. And that's the mandate he's put on us. Read the Great Commission. Go into all the world he didn't say sit in the seats he said go into the world take the gospel baptize train up equip disciple bring hope to this lost world world's in a mess so now we're going to go to philippians 3 chapter 3 we'll see how this plays out for us as believers today what does a resurrected life mean to us today how do we experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Philippians 3, I'm going to be reading from the Passion again. I'm going to begin with verse 9. Now, I want to set this up a little bit. Paul had been, uh, he had been a, uh, he killed Christians. That's what he did. I mean, I just can't put it in any nice, gentle way. He had Christians arrested, put in jail, and killed. Men, women, and children. That was his Goal in life because see when you read that you read that chapter three he said I was a Pharisee of Pharisees I was a Jew among Jews he said man I was taught by this I was taught by the greatest of rabbis and and he said man I had a purpose in life and it was to kill Christians that's what he did so if you think you're if you're too bad to get saved well let me put you up against Paul he just killed people killed Christians good people had them killed you know if you've if you if you've done worse than that he still loves you and he will still save you. Okay? But he goes on to say, but my life then was not worth, he uses the word dung. Okay? I would just, you know, in our vernacular today, I would say crap. <laughs> he said, my life before then was not anything. It was dung. It was like mess. He said, I, he said, I count all that as a loss. All that is wasted time. He said, now I want to know this. I want to know Jesus Christ. And then he goes into verse 9 and he says this, My passion, say passion. passion. My passion is to be consumed with him. Who? Jesus Christ. And not to cling to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My only righteousness will be his based upon his faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The very righteousness that comes from God. The first thing I want you to see this morning, if you want to pursue and go after the, uh, the things of God, you've got to have a passion for it. 
Say passion. Passion, passion means I'm, I've got a, a desire, an eagerness, a willingness to go after something. How many, of you know, how many of you have a passion about something here this morning? Everybody pretty much has some kind of a passion. And they're, they're pursuing something. Not everybody, but most people are. But here's the thing. Is your passion Jesus Christ? Are you going after Jesus Christ? Because to be passionate is to say, I don't really care what other people think about me. I only care what Jesus thinks about me. I want to go after him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why do you, why do you think he said to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why do you think he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God? Because he wanted us to be passionate about him. And Paul said, I am not going to cling to my own righteousness. See, many of us as Christians, especially if you've been brought up in a religious atmosphere, you always tried, you knew God was good and you knew he forgave you of your sins, but you always tried to be righteous within yourself. Anybody? Can I get a witness? I, oh, I did too many bad things today. I don't think Jesus loves me anymore. I don't know if I'm going to go to hell today or heaven. I haven't been a good boy. I haven't been a good girl. And so we start living this religious life, this religious experience. And we forget about, it's not about how good you are. It's about how awesome, incredibly perfect Jesus is. Because he lives in you. He resides in you. Man, I had a tough time with that. I had such a tough time with that because I thought I had to be perfect. And I found out the more you think you have to be perfect, the less perfect you are. Man, it'll lead you down the road to depression. It'll lead you down the road of trying to work your things out, work out your salvation in your own flesh and not relying upon the grace and the goodness of God. Does he call us to be holy? Yes, he does. But that holiness has to be wrapped up in him. We don't, we don't try to be good because we're afraid God's going to zap us with some lightning bolt if we're not. We, we, we want to be good for God because of His great love and His mercies extended to us. So that passion has to be there. Verse, verse 10, he says, I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experiencing, experience the overflowing power, say power, of His resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and become like him in death. Only then will I be able to experience the complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. The second thing is the power. Power comes at a price. Did y'all know that? How many of you know people that they're power hungry? You might read about them. You might, you might uh, know somebody that's like that. They'll do anything to get to the top. They will cheat, they will steal, they will pretend, they, they will step on somebody else because they want to get to the top. Because see, power represents control. Power represents wealth. Power represents fame. And so many people want that power. And, he, and Paul said, we, he wants to give you, God wants to give you the power of the resurrection. And the power that the world gives you is totally opposite from the power that God wants you to have. See, when, when you come to Jesus and you say, God, I, I surrender to you, that's when he gives you power. When you say, I humble myself before you, Lord, that's when he gives you power. When you say, I'm, I'm not worthy, I give myself to you, I surrender to you, I, Lord, I, sit, I lay everything down, I, I surrender my, my finances, I surrender my family, I give everything to you. That's when God says, I want to endue you with power. Because he knows your heart, that you're not out to build your own kingdom. There are churches all over this country where pastors have built their kingdom. And if that pastor, where something happens to him, it just falls and it folds in and, goes, and it goes away because they've been building their own kingdom. 
When we're here to build and advance the kingdom of God. It's all about Him. When we celebrate next week, the, our theme is, is um, what's the name? What's our theme? <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. That, that's our theme. And then the next part of it, the best is yet to come. That's why she sits right there. She helps me. She holds cue cards up. <laughs> And Paul says this, it's the power of his resurrection working in him. Can I get that? Is that for me? Thank you, Lord. So the Lord calls you during church, you better answer it. He says it's the power of resurrection working in him. So you, think, you might have come here today thinking he's going to talk about the power of the resurrection so we can go out and lay hands on the sick and we can do signs and wonders and do the greater works. You won't do any of that until it's working in you first. It won't happen. See, he, he wants it to start with you. Say, let's have a revival. Hey, we really need to get this city on fire for Jesus. Are you on fire for Jesus? going to start with you it's going to start with us it's going to start with me the power verse 12 i admit that i haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that i'm pursuing but i run with passion into his abundance so that i may reach the purpose for which christ jesus laid hold of me to make me his own the third thing is the pursuit of your purpose say pursuit, pursuit. say purpose. purpose see he's called us to pursue the purpose that he's put in our heart. He's called us to be a, a pursuing kind of people that we, we just don't, we're not passive, we're pursuers. We're chasing the dream that God's put in our heart. You ever heard the term chasing your dream? I mean, it, it's out there. You've got to go after it, right? The pursuit of your purpose. What is your pursuit in life this morning? What are you pursuing with all the passion that, that you can muster up? What, what is your pursuit this morning? Is it what your flesh wants or is it what the Spirit of God wants for you? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. What do you want to accomplish with your, with your life? You think you're here by accident today? No, God has an appointment with you today. And if your purpose and your passion have not been about Jesus Christ, He's going to be knocking on the door of your heart and reminding you who died for you, who saved you, who resurrected you. Because we get off track, guys. Look what, look what Paul says. He says, he said, I admit that I haven't yet acquired it. We're all, it's a process. It's a journey. It's an adventure. How many of you ever thought of the, of the Christian life as a journey? Come on. Well, my brother-in-law who went to be with Jesus in January, that I, I had the privilege of doing his funeral, Paul Sanders, who was here that year that we moved into this building in 2008, was on a resurrection day. He said, Harold, quit looking at your, the Christian life as a journey and start looking at it as an adventure. You see, we, we look at the Christian life sometimes like, man, I've got to go to church. Instead of, I get to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. No, I get to read my Bible. Well, I've got to pray. No, you get to pray. Well, I don't know. We've got to go worship. No, you get to worship. You get to praise his name. 
We never say, well, I got to go get baptized. <laughs> no, you get to get baptized. Paul says, I, I haven't got it all figured out. Listen, if he didn't have it all figured out, then it means it's okay if you do and I don't have it all figured out yet. You know, the best thing you can do as a Christian is say, I don't understand it all. Because then you're going to be hungry. And so God showed me how, you, how this works. You've got you to be inquisitive. Inquiring minds want to know. Right? He wants you to, listen, he wants you to search things out in the scripture. He wants you to look for those nuggets. He wants you to start reading the scripture. Maybe just open it blindly someday and go, okay, God, where's the highlighter that you're going to, what highlighter are you going to do for me today? And he'll highlight a scripture for you and you'll know exactly that it was for you that day. Pursuit. You know, we take a lot of scripture out of context, or I shouldn't say we, some other pastors do. And I used to hear this in all my life, and it's Psalm 37, 4. And we, we looked at it actually Wednesday night in our men's Bible study. It was really awesome. <clears throat> and the passion says, find your delight and true pleasure in Yahweh, and he will give you what you desire most. Okay? I was taught growing up that that scripture says, God will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. Well, God, I want a pony. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a pony. I thought you said you'd give me the desires of my heart. I want a motorcycle. God says, no. <laughs> we take that scripture kind of out of context sometimes and say, it's, just because it's a fleshly desire, but if it's a desire, and God says he will give it to me and give me the desires of my heart, that he, he, better, he better own up and give me what I want, right? But let's go back and read, this, read it from, chapter, uh, from verse 3. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God. And you will dwell in the land feasting on his faithfulness. Find your delight and true pleasure in Yahweh or Jesus, and he will give you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life. Ooh. Give God the right to direct your life. Did y'all hear that? And as you trust him along the way on that adventure, you will find he pulled it off perfectly. You see? He wants to give you the desires of your heart as long as your heart is lined up with his heart. Right. See, that's why some people don't get their prayers answered because they're praying amiss. They're praying outside the will of God. They're praying for their own fleshly desires. And listen, God, sometimes just to teach you something, he'll give you something that you shouldn't get. Just so you'll, you'll learn something. Just like parents, you know. Any, any dads in here that they're dads, when you, they found out you wanted, they caught you smoking. They said, well, come, in, come out in the back, boy, we're going to smoke a cigar together. Anybody do that? <laughs> we got, oh, we got one, two. And you turned green and you threw up and you said, well, thank you, Dad, but I don't really want that anymore. <laughs> or you got addicted to them. <laughs> Ooh, boy, I like that. Be careful what you ask for. See, God wants, he wants you so in love with him, so in tune with him, so into the word with him, so hearing his voice that when you ask for something, God says, you're right on. You got it. I'll give you that like that because that's my desire for you. That tool that you need, that gift that you need, that financial thing that you need because you're going to go bless somebody else you got it. We've got we to line our lives up with his life. 
We got to line our heart up with his heart. We got to line what we speak up with his words. And then we'll start seeing things happen that we've never seen before. Verse 13. I don't depend on my own strength. That's a good way to believe. Okay. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this, Paul says. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past. Say past. And I fasten my heart to the future. The fourth thing I want you to see is, is our past, the past. Man, if there's any place the enemy works, it's on your past. Doesn't he? You know, you ever get in a car and you look to the, the outside rearview mirror, what does it say? Objects may appear closer than they are. <laughs> see, if, if your focus in your life is to always be looking through the rearview mirror, guess what? You're going to wreck every day. You've got to look forward. But that thing about objects appear closer than they really are, that's the enemy reminding you that your past is right there. And it's large. And you have to understand that that's his plan. That's not God's plan for your life. He wants you to forget those things that are in the past. You know why? Because he's forgotten them. All your sins have been forgiven. He says, I forget, I I remember them no more. I like what Ron, Ron Campbell says. He says, not that God has Alzheimer's, it's that he chooses to forget. He chooses to forget our sins. When you pray and you ask God to come in your life and forgive you of all your sins, guess what he does? He forgives you of all your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness, all of your past, all the crud that the enemy wants to remind you of every day when you wake up. If you wake up focused on your past, listen, you will walk through the day bumping into things. Because you're always looking over your shoulder. He said, forget the past. He, man, did he have a past. How many of you once saw the movie that it was about the, the Apostle Paul? Jim Caviezel was in it. Do y'all see that? You know, there was a, he prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. Y'all remember that? That was his prayer. And everybody, every theologians always try to figure out what the thorn in the flesh was. I always thought it was pride because he was very prideful about who he used to be. But when you see the movie, it gave me a different aspect, a different way to look at it. And they're, they're just guessing too, understand. But the thorn in his flesh, you remember this, honey? was all the people he'd sent to, to prison. All those Christians that had been celebrating Jesus that he had had killed. And then every, he would have these nightmares. He'd wake up in the sweat of his past sins. The thorn in the flesh that just kept dogging him. You know what God said? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. You cannot let the enemy beat you up anymore, church. He's so good at it. But listen, God is better at, at forgiving than we should be at remembering. He forgets our sins. He casts them as far as east is from west. And he doesn't want you to remember them anymore. And I know it's, it's hard to put those things in the past. But if, as long as you're looking back there, it will be easy to keep those things right at, your, right at bay. Right at your side. But he said, look forward. Forward thinkers, forward lovers, forward passionate about your prayer life. He says, I fasten my heart to the future. Fasten your heart to the future. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let, let's just say this. Let us lay aside our past. Let's lay aside our past. Let's just lay it aside. 
And then it goes on to say, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run, say run. run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started to work in us. He's going to complete it, church. Who for the joy, listen to this, the joy, the joy of the cross. I read that scripture and I tear up every time I read it because I think the cross that he knew what he was facing. He was in the garden. He was sweating drops of blood because of the agony. He said, Father, if, it's in, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and he says, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy. You see, the cross wasn't the joy. We were his joy. He said, I'm going to go to the cross because I want to save the world. That's the joy. That's when he said, I will give up. I will let you crucify me. I will let you beat me. I will let you spear me. I will let you spit on me. I will let you pull my beard out. I will let you do anything because the joy of the people that are going to come to eternal salvation because of what I do, what I give up. It's worth it. It's worth it. So why do we want to hold on to that past that he said I've eradicated by my blood? Verse 14, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Say the prize. prize. How many of you like to win a prize? When I was a kid, I loved Cracker Jacks. It's the stupidest little silly little prize in there, but I couldn't wait to get it. You know, you're dumping out the Cracker Jacks to find that little two-cent prize. We just like prizes, and we're just geared that way. How many of you have ever won a race before and like got a, a, like a medal? Raise your hands up high. Okay, I'm not going to run with y'all. I'm not going to try to run y'all. I'm out. Uh-uh. Did, you like, did you like to win? Do you like to, do you like to win? Yeah. Like to win sweepstakes? You know, here's the thing about it. You don't win unless you actually enter. You're not, you're not going to win the race unless you get in the race. And they're not going to give you a prize for not getting in the race. See, so many Christians, they, don't, they, they just don't want to get in the race. They don't, want to, they don't want to take the adventure. And it's an adventure. Listen, sometimes the hills are really high. Sometimes the valleys are really low. But it's an adventure. We, we recount the last 20 years. We've been looking at vi- pictures and slides of people that have come and gone in our lifetime through this last 20 years. Sometimes we cry because we know what's happened to their life. Then we look at somebody else and like, yeah, you know. We, see the, we celebrate the victories and we see the defeats. The adventure of living for Christ. And my prayer is that one day when I enter into heaven, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're in the race. You kept the faith. That's what he wants. That's what everybody in this room, that should be your heart and cry, that when the end of your life comes, and it will unless Jesus tarries, it will. What's Jesus going to say? Man, I wish you would have gotten the race. You don't even have a clue what I had for you. I had all these gifts, all these prizes for you, and you just missed them. Come on in. You can get in here. It's, it's okay. The blood's covered you. But you just lost out on so many awesome things. Verse 15. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion 
And if anyone is not yet gripped by the desires, God will reveal it to them. Now, another word, patience, isn't in this verse, but the, the sixth thing I want you to see is, is patience. This is what, if you, if you want to get into the, the ministry, you better know that you need to walk in patience. You just have to. Let me tell you what I believe he's sharing here. There, there are some people, husbands and wives. Anybody, any husbands and wives here today? Well, I think we're married. Husband gets saved. He's on fire for Jesus. Wife's lagging behind. Wife says, well, I'm not ready for that yet. Husband gets frustrated. Hey, baby, we need to read the Bible. I don't want to read the Bible. Then. Yeah, I'm the, hub, I'm the head of the house. We need to read the Word. God's got a hold of me, and I want to, I want to leave. Hmm. Gets, gets kind of be, could be a problem, right? Or vice versa. Wife gets on fire for Jesus, and the husband's like, I don't want any part of that. We don't have to go to church, do we? And it creates some friction. You know, it can be frustrating. And that's when patience has to come in. Because Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm at this place, but not everybody's there yet. So we have to have grace with people. We have to, have, we have to extend love to these people. And you, start, you live by example. You don't try to talk some people or berate somebody and, and, and be mean to them so you can get them to love Jesus more. You just love on them. And you, you keep your walk. You keep going forward. And yet you don't put them down for not being where you're at. And that applies to more than just husbands and wives. That applies to pretty much everybody. Some of us are on a different plane of where we're walking than other people. And it can be frustrating. I used to, when I was the assistant chaplain at the jail, the county jail, one of the most difficult things was that you would see the potential of these guys. I just ministered to guys. And you would see the potential in these guys in the orange jumpsuits. And you go, wow, how many years have they wasted? God, you've got something great planned in, in store for them. And that would, give me the, that would give me the reason to get in there and speak to those guys because I would want to see them step out of that so to realize their potential. But it would be frustrating sometimes when you would, oh, yeah, I'm on fire for Jesus, and they'd get out of jail, and they would come to church for a while. Man, they would be shouting and, and dancing and, and preaching, and they'd do the street ministry, and then three weeks later they'd be back in jail because they started doing the same things they used to do. What do we do? We still love them. We pray for them. Pray that when they get back to jail, at least now they've got Jesus and they can start sharing the, sharing the word of, of the Lord in the, in the jail because God's going to, he will bring correction because he loves them so much. So we need to walk in patience with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because they're not where you're at spiritually, don't put them down and don't try to manipulate them to get to where you want them to be. Because guess what? You are not always at the place you are either. Okay? Last thing this morning is uh, verse 16. And let us advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. He starts with passion and the last thing he ends with is passion. The passion. The challenge to, to advance the kingdom of God as one people. See, we're all on one path. I don't care what church you are. You may not be a part of this church. You may go to this church or that church. It doesn't matter. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're in the kingdom. 
You're a citizen of heaven. And we should all be in the same place of moving forward to advance God's kingdom, not ours. Amen? Amen. But all along, as Paul has given all of this wisdom to us, he's saying to you and to me this morning, you need to get right with me before you can go out and change the world. Where's your passion this morning? What are your goals this morning? Are they spirit-wrapped or are they flesh-wrapped? We sang a song this morning. By your spirit I will rise From the ashes of defeat The resurrected King Is resurrecting me In your name I come alive To declare your victory The resurrected King is resurrecting me. That's the desire of God's heart, is to resurrect you. That the resurrection power of Jesus Christ would live in you. So you could go change the world. But you would start with yourself and then your family. You'd have a desire of your heart to pursue God with all your heart. Would you stand this morning?